everyone. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining another Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth podcast. We're delighted to have with us this evening Simon Bridges, uh, New Zealand National Party MP, who's recently become a patron of Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth. So I guess a good place to kick off is to ask you, Simon, um, why you decided to come on board uh, with our organisation and, and kind of what you see um, yourself kind of being involved with moving forward. Well, firstly, because you asked, and uh, it's always great to be asked. But secondly, um, because I've been a, a, a long-time uh, champion and uh, a believer in the, the Commonwealth, and, uh, you know, as we were just saying off-air, um, in New Zealand, um, I think there's still a very, and we see it with Prince Philip's um, passing, fond regard for not, not just monarchy, but I, I think more broadly than that, um, our, our old friends, uh, in the, the Commonwealth. Um, I think I've said to you before, you know, I think, if I think about my story, uh, my ancestors come from the United Kingdom, and that is true for probably still uh, the majority of New Zealanders. So there's all these reasons to press in on it. And then we think about the fact that, uh, look, we live in a much more uncertain, uh, frankly, dangerous world. And that means um, all of us want to be seeking out uh, friends with a past, um, uh, uh, friends uh, who um, share our values and um, that, that can for, we can forge alliances uh, with. And that's certainly not just the United Kingdom, actually uh, across the Commonwealth, whether India, uh, Australia, Canada, um, uh, Pakistan, other countries as well. In terms of um, what, what I can offer, Paul, well, I, I, just, um, I just hope that in New Zealand, uh, I can be a champion of sorts for what you're doing and uh, help to publicise these things. I'm um, less formally involved with Kanzok, of course, which you know well. Uh, and so between Kanzok, between this uh, conservative friends of the Commonwealth, I think there's a great opportunity for us to play our role in doing what I've just said, which is in uncertain, dangerous times, forge stronger, deeper friendships. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about it, I feel very privileged uh, to be a, new, a newly, freshly minted patron of the Conservative Friends of the Commonwealth. Well, we're, we're delighted to have you on board. Um, caused a bit of a mini storm on, on Twitter when it, when it was announced. We got some new, well, new fans from New Zealand, you could say. Uh, but I'm sure you're, you're used to that on, on Twitter. Um, I think that'd be a good place to start, really. Uh, I know you've spoken recently, a word you use for... Uh, police commissioner was wokester which caused um, yeah. a bit of controversy over there so i guess um i think we should kind of start off with this new kind of wave of um woke cancel culture whatever you want to call it which is very very prevalent on on twitter i guess kind of what where you see that situation at the moment and what we can do uh, to kind of fight back well, you know, it's a, it's a ever more confusing, chaotic uh, picture. And social media, of course, is uh, right at the, the apex of all of that. I'm reading a brilliant book. I'm late to the party. Um, you both probably and many of your viewers have read it a long time ago, but um, Douglas Murray's The Madness of Crowds. And uh, he sums up so many of the things going on. I think, you know, if I sit back, what... Um, it seems to me is happening is we live in a world, um, or at least we do, you in the United Kingdom, it's still the United Kingdom, uh, for now, I hope for a long time, uh, here in New Zealand, where we are, COVID aside, incredibly free. Uh, we are free to be who we want, uh, to say what we want uh, within reason, if it's not endangering uh, others. But what I see, and we see it, yes, in social media, but it's also something that's happening in our parliaments and uh, our councils. Uh, we see this, this cancel culture where increasingly in the name of tolerance, uh, we're seeing a, a, an intolerance. And, and that disturbs me. Um, that, in fact, worries me uh, because, you know, it gets in the way of long, those long-held freedoms and the, and the pluralistic tolerance society uh, that we uh, want to live in. And if we think about it, Douglas Murray says it much better than I, over the last few decades, whether in feminism or gay rights or look, a host of other racial equality, uh, we've seen amazing advancements. That's great. 
Um, but what is also happening uh, at the moment at a, a breakneck speed is we're seeing um, off the back of that, that intolerance where uh, our views are no longer allowed because they're fuddy-duddy, because they're uh, overly religious, because they're, they're just no longer um, seen as right in our society. Um, maybe they offend people. And uh, you know, this concerns me a lot. I know it concerns a lot of the people that will be watching this podcast. Um, and, and I think the answer, um, we, we'll talk more about it, I'm sure, but I think the answer in short is a vigilance around freedom of expression, the freedoms that um, I suppose go back in a way to ancient documents from the United Kingdom and New Zealand find modern form in our human rights law and our, our, our New Zealand Bill of Rights our legislation and, and, and staunchly protecting those. Uh, I know, Sunil, that you actually have uh, experienced quite a bit of abuse online for kind of not being the, the right type of conservative, as people uh, might say. How do, you, how do you deal with that? And what, what do you think about all this? Um, it's, it is difficult. Um, I actually think I get it a bit easier um, on Twitter um, and general social media. I, I actually think it's becoming dangerous to the point where um, if you're a white middle-aged male, I, I, we're getting to a stage where I think there's very few things you can say on social media. I think it's, there's this almost, well, we had, uh, when we had Robert Spalding on this platform, me and Paul did a really good talk with him and he talked about how we're getting into this scary kind of scenario where if you can prove um, you are a, um, a minority that has suffered the most historically, what you say, your words are more valuable rather than what you're actually saying. And he, he kind of doesn't like the idea that we're moving towards um, a society rather than being based on knowledge-led or factual-led, we're, we're looking at certain types of people, um, our answers from, which I, I kind of feel is where we're at. Um, and me and Paul have discussed this quite a bit on, on our sort of platform. Um, and we, we speak about it with our team as well, because we do get as an organization, uh, naturally, a fair amount of uh, Twitter abuse. Um, and I, I, to be honest, the one thing I always say to our social media officers, I always say, and this is a great thing, like actually getting that sort of abuse is, uh, it, it shows that we're actually doing something as an organization that people feel threatened. Um, mm. And we've got to have that security in ourselves to know that, you know, we, um, as long as we stay uh, factual, we, we stay um, secure about what we're doing, there's no reason to tolerate any abuse or take any abuse. And Twitter sometimes gives this idea that it's a conversation, but it's not really. It's people screaming at each other as what's going on, which is the thing I dislike about it the most. Um, and I, I kind of, with Simon, how did it like happen for you in terms of how did you become aware of, if you like, wokeism? Was it just off Twitter where it just getting high levels of abuse? Well, you know, even using the term <laughs> uh, drives abuse in New Zealand. So I, I you know, you, you face this um, uh, issue that Douglas Murray talks about. Do you sort of stand up for what you think or do you take that easy path of kind of look, not worrying about it and getting on with your life? Um, and of course, uh, the three of us may be, and some of our viewers are some of the few that decide foolishly perhaps to enter the, 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 the fray um, on these things. I, I had a, um, I've had an amazing social media journey, um, not in comparison with some of your uh, uh, um, contributors uh, who come on from the United States and so on, probably have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. But in New Zealand terms, I have a big uh, uh, fo following. Uh, on, on Facebook, on Twitter, and, and so on. And uh, uh, if you take COVID, for example, I would put things up that struck a chord and that went incredibly well, but also things sometimes with our unpopular um, that went incredibly badly. And uh, you see the power of social media from that, the ability just very quickly within hours uh, to be on or off. And then, of course, for the mainstream media to feed um, uh, off of that I, I i when you were speaking thought of a couple of things Sano. i mean that amazing martin luther king uh, jr speech where you know it's not the um color of our skin it's the content of our character but of course as you you say 
um, we're seeing changes in that, where in fact, sometimes uh, there are people who have that view, no, actually it's only based on the color of your skin um, that you're allowed uh, certain uh, uh, views to be said. And um, so I think that the, the, the plea really for, and, and the thing we need to tell ourselves is actually when you're getting that abuse, um, you know, it's no reason to be inflammatory. It's no reason to be over the top, but uh, if, if it's factually based, uh, if you believe it's right to stand up for it. I, I think um, uh, it, it's, a, it's an irony, actually, that we've always had these old school conservatives, old school liberals, but in 2021, we're getting to this weird point where uh, in New Zealand terms, as we use those words, at least, the liberals are increasingly becoming illiberal. And it's old school conservatives that are standing up for that pluralism, tolerance, uh, to tolerance the freedoms that we've long cherished. And, uh, you know, uh, it's a tough job, but someone's got to do it. Well, what I find interesting, Simon, is obviously follow you both on um, Facebook and, and Twitter. And I, you kind of post, you know, similar things on each platform. But I've noticed, and you probably disagree, like under a lot of your Facebook posts, there's a lot of nice comments from people in, in general, quite supportive. But kind of on Twitter, it just can often turn into a torrent of abuse um, or just, uh, yeah. So I'm not sure that you think about the differences between the two platforms, or I'm sure you get oh, abuse. Oh, they're very different. Yeah. You, what you've noticed is exactly right. I, I would put it this way. Um, Facebook reaches everyday New Zealanders. Um, dare I say it, from grannies to granddads to uh, teenagers to, you know, young mums, dads, that they, they, they're all there on Facebook at some level. I personally love Instagram. Uh, it's less political, if you like. It's uh, beautiful pictures. I can follow my love of Yorkshire countryside um, or uh, um, someone with a metal detector and the amazing finds they're finding somewhere uh, in, in Europe. Um, and then, of course, there's Twitter. And um, dare I say it, and I, I mean no disrespect to either you, uh, either of you two or myself um, who, who are on Twitter uh, a lot, I don't know that a lot of real voters, at least in New Zealand terms, spend their time on Twitter. What I do find, though, is it's very much where our uh, media and political establishment are. As you say, maybe not anymore having conversations, sadly, but uh, fighting, uh, uh, disputing. And so on that basis, um, whereas in the past start of my political career, uh, it would have been a press release sent by conventional means to mainstream media uh, that was what was effective. Today, uh, no more than a tweet can get one in the news and uh, up, up in the uh, in, in the politics of uh, of the day. So they're very different. Um, I, I'd be lying to you if I said I don't have a sneaking enjo a sneaky enjoyment of winding up the, uh, uh, the, 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 the liberal Twitterati that in New Zealand live in um, two or three suburbs in Auckland uh, and Wellington. Um, you'll have those suburbs um, in, uh, in, in London uh, and possibly one or two other cities as well. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's worth being on it um, to, to just develop an elephantine uh, like thick skin. I couldn't agree more with the, the uh, Twitter stuff you're saying. I, I just think it's, um, I was saying this chat recently, uh, Twitter for me is uh, London or um, areas, uh, you know, close areas around London, New York, uh, LA. Auckland, Wellington, Melbourne, these regions, that's it. It's like, it's, I think it's a group of 18 to 40 year old people generally on a platform. And I think it's, it's really weird. Like, I think I always have to tell myself, uh, regularly, Twitter is not the real world. Like I always have to have this, uh, this thing in my head. Um, I, I remember last election in our country, having this debate with my dad about, we both thought conservatives were gonna win, but we weren't sure by the margin. And I went with, I think, a, a 10 uh, seat margin. My dad went with, uh, he called it quite uh, well. He went for 90. And I remember saying to him, there's no way 90, you do not see the amount of abuse we get on social media and stuff. And he's not as uh, active as much as I am. 
And obviously, in the end, we got like an 80 seat majority. So it's, it's a complete. But on the day of Twitter, um, uh, on the day of the elections, what was trending was all bad things. It was Tories out, uh, Corbyn for PM, um, Boris out. And the, re the result was Labour's worst results since like 1930s um, and one of our best results in history. So it was, uh, I think that's my kind of take on it. Just keep reminding myself Twitter is not the real world. Uh, David Cameron's probably a dangerous person to refer to these days in the United <laughs> Kingdom, but I think he said something like too much Twitter maketh a, um, I'm going to say twit, I think it might have been another word he used, but uh, you know, I, I, can, I can tell you, you know, from my own experience uh, as leader of the opposition New Zealand, leader of the National Party, uh, we would drive campaigns uh, on issues we believed in. But also we knew that the, the Liberati, if you like, didn't believe in. Uh, there was one around uh, gangs, a growing uh, problem with organised and criminal gangs in New Zealand. Uh, in a sense, I suppose, from the woke left that, look, actually, um, they just need to be understood and we need to have more discussion. Um, and we had a much more um, uh, uncompromising policy on these things. Well, if you read Twitter, uh, you would think that... Um, I was um, Satan in the flesh uh, for this policy, but but I know that you know many New Zealanders it resonated with many other examples where Twitter would go wild, but clearly we saw our popularity grow off the back of um, some of the social media campaigns we uh, we 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 used. Uh, Scott Morrison talks about you know the, the quiet Australians, and uh, of course that's true that that there are the quiet conservatives. Uh, in the United Kingdom and New Zealand, who may not, because they know what's good for their health, get themselves on Twitter, uh, but they come out on election day. And, and dare I say it, this is something that uh, right of centre leaders all around the world need to remember uh, as they govern. Um, uh, don't forget um, the gal you came with, um, I think one prominent politician said, and uh, you don't want to forget the base because... Um, because, you know, you know, the base is everyday New Zealanders, everyday Britons um, who just have common sense views. They're not woke. They're not on Twitter. And we don't want to forget about them. You mentioned policing, and that's uh, something that I definitely want to uh, hear more about. Um, I, I'm not sure how much you followed in, in the UK, but it's been uh, quite a sort of contentious topic now. Um, and especially with what uh, some of the riots we saw a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's been, I think they've received pretty harsh treatment in, in our country. Um, and some of it's been a bit unjust. We saw policemen actually being injured in one of the uh, riots in Bristol. And it really spiraled into something that was supposed to be a peaceful uh, protest against um, the death of, of Sarah. And it's went into something completely different. It felt like what, what's, what's going on sort of New Zealand-wise, because there is a real anti-policing um, movement at the moment, both here in the UK and in the States, has that trickled to New Zealand? Yes. I mean, look, what is so amazing, Sunil, is the phenomenon we're talking about, they are, because of Twitter, because of social media, um, maybe also in a sense because of COVID, because we are all sitting at home drawn to these things, they're global. And so I'm very familiar in a sense, not because I followed particularly closely what you're talking about in Britain, but I'm aware of what you're saying, with the phenomenon. Uh, in New Zealand, in a sense, the response has been one where, with growing crime, with a very real problem where our Aussie cousins send over their worst criminals, they're called 501s, and there's a legal uh, dispute, if you like, about that, that crime problem is growing. Police... It goes without saying, but I, but I should say it because I wouldn't want anyone to misinterpret what I'm saying here. Do a tough job. They, uh, I, I wouldn't want to do it. And, uh, you know, all New Zealanders, I think, or most New Zealanders appreciate very much what they're doing. But the response in the hierarchy of the police and also in our uh, left of centre Labour government has been one at a level of going woke, uh, of saying, you know what, um, uh, we, we are going to buy into all of this and, and have a soft peddling on these, uh, on, on these uh, issues. And 
The problem with that quite simply, and I make no apologies, I'm a former Crown prosecutor, a criminal lawyer, um, I have an uncompromising position on these things, is that going soft um, is rather soft-headed and has meant in our prisons over the last three years, whilst the prison population, because of fewer arrests uh, and the like, has gone down about 15%, actually the level of violence, both in society but also in prisons, is up around 90%. Um, as we see prisons burning, uh, as we see uh, just in the last few days, actually over the weekend, gang shootings uh, in our biggest city, Auckland, more recently in my city as well. So it's a, it's a, a slowly unfolding, um, I, I don't want to be inflammatory, but, but real problem uh, in New, New Zealand. Um, if I can slightly digress and I hope I'm not stealing your thunder I mean we've we've you, you mentioned it before we went on and uh, allied to all of this is an issue with hate speech uh, where um, different issue but what we see is um, in your country uh, I've, I've watched in places like Merseyside um, police saying look um, being offensive is an offense I think they backtrack from that but we have right at this minute, literally in the last week or so, uh, seeing more detail released about hate crime laws that will be coming to our parliament this year. And they really worry me because it is at that level of insulting communications, um, which seems to me very intolerant. I fully support laws that are about stopping incitement of violence. But I think to go back at that, no, look, I'm insulted, therefore I'm triggered, and we're going to make this criminal, uh, that's not a free society. It's not one that uh, I would want to live in. Something which I've kind of spoken about with people and um, kind of generally um, kind of agree on it is that a lot of this, we, we think, especially in the UK, maybe now, it's trickled through to New Zealand, are the fact is kind of, English kind of speaking countries we have those close ties kind of culturally and with the US and a lot of these kind of wokeism as, as we can say start off in America in in California in LA and then they sort of trickle over here um, a lot of an anti-police sentiment you have people here talking about the feds you know as if as if that makes any sense in the context of the UK system um, and these and I, I speak to people in, for example, France, where you say there's less of a cultural tie and a linguistic tie with America. And they look at the UK and they probably look at New Zealand, some of these things, the people being cancelled. And, and they, they just find it completely ridiculous that we're kind of sinking to this level. And um, you know, people like President Macron, for example, whether you agree with his policies or not, is, doesn't really take any 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 rubbish from these people on the kind of extreme twitter left and i think yeah what we've seen here is, is a real kind of you know almost things in the u.s being projected or you know um, taken by people here and and then turned into protests here I'm, I'm not really sure where can't do anything about that obviously but i think it's just something that we have issues in the u.s which are being projected here and they, a lot of them don't really have any grounding here or in new zealand or in australia so. You're so right. And, and in fact, uh, when um, I made my famous or infamous in New Zealand uh, comment about our Wokester commissioner, and you know, perhaps I shouldn't have personalised it in uh, that way, because it's a broader issue than, than, than one person. Uh, the comment, I think, from the commissioner in a, a parliamentary exchange was, well, Black Lives Matter and these issues in the US. But for all the reasons you say and more, Paul, that's an entirely uh, inapposite um, analogy. New Zealand uh, or Britain, for that matter, just aren't the United States of America. Actually, I can get behind a lot of uh, what happened in Black Lives Matter and as much as what happened to George Floyd is um, a heinous uh, situation. We watch what happens in the courts with great interest. But that's not New Zealand. Um, that's not our constabulary. Um, that's not our uh, experience. And so to sort of draw from over there and say, well, we need radical change in the New Zealand police force when we have one of the least corrupt, uh, one of the best performing uh, in the world is yeah, just, just inapposite um, 
actually totally wrong? I, I think it's, um, I, I've been really trying to think about this, why it's grown so much in, in the UK. Um, and it's probably something that New Zealand are probably thinking about too. Why, is, why are we talking about this so much? Um, I look at peace brutality, for example, that was the thing that people were really discussing. Um, our, our numbers are incredibly low. I, I'm not saying you know one is too high, of course, but generally speaking, one is you know we we do fantastic in terms of how good our police is. Um, and I, I think the the problem is, and I, I don't think there's really necessarily a solution. Is I, I can give you the statistics on our policing. I can tell you why they're amazing and the great things they've done. But the reality is, it doesn't spark the same emotion or feeling of when you see a police officer with his leg on uh, someone's neck. And I think that kind of triggers an emotional response. We all, well, I'm sure three of us felt something when we saw that. My problem is we didn't, we were also, also able to retract ourselves and we're not making statements. We're not going to create policies on uh, that sort of video alone. And I think it just seems in, in the UK, um, I've been getting really annoyed with the anti-police sentiment. Um, you know, I, I've been trying to use the example of uh, NHS doctors in, in, our, in our country and, and nurses uh, who are incredible people, um, but they kill people every year. There, there are doctors and nurses who deliberately kill uh, children. They, when they perform uh, surgery, they, they deliberately will do things to patients that are just horrible and wrong. Um, that doesn't mean we all go into the NHS hospitals and start screaming abuse at every doctor, every nurse. We don't start yelling defund the NHS. Um, mm. And so I'm really not a fan of this targeting a whole police force or something that happened in America because of a poor choice or poor actions of one really bad man. I, I don't, I think it's just really digressed into something quite toxic and bad, to be honest. And I'm not sure if I was... Um, why somebody would want to be a police officer um, other than having huge national pride right now because I think you are subject to so much horrible abuse on um, especially on social media I, I personally doesn't really sit that well with me and I wanted to know you know you've also made those comments about the police commissioner what would you like to see happen um, in New Zealand with regards to police? Well funnily enough or not nothing funny about it but listening to you both um, I think I should first emphasise that look in New Zealand, there's no doubt the vast majority of New Zealanders, um, you know, the quiet majority, if you like, think the police are doing a very good job. And uh, we've been well served over a very long period of time. I, I think what's also true and, and, and interesting in listening to you is the um, contrast, if you like, between New Zealand and even Britain and until very recently, the United States of America, in that you have uh, centre-right conservative governments. Uh, we've had President Trump, uh, uh, now called very recently President Biden, whereas in New Zealand we have a, a left of centre a government. W what this means is what you're saying about those protests, actually there hasn't been quite the level of in New Zealand. Um, you know, in a sense, why protest when you've got a left of centre government? Um, There's that, right. just not quite the uh, same. What you've also seen in New Zealand, the extent that there have been big movements, I can think of one uh, in particular, I forget what the issue was, it may have been Black Lives Matter, but I, I could be wrong in that the police commissioner himself attended. He did not attend in his uh, police uniform. Um, he attended in uh, civvies, if you like. And that, in fact, and I received feedback from police officers was something they didn't like. And there's a sense that in a way in New Zealand, we, we've got uh, morale issues in our police, but in, in a sense for different reasons than you have. It's not necessarily there's a sense they don't think that the public backs them, doesn't back them. It's a sense that actually uh, the government and uh, the hierarchy of the police don't back them to do what they got into the police force to do, which is bluntly, perhaps a bit crassly, but to catch the bad guys and girls to go after the robbers and the gangs uh, and, 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 the, and the serious uh, criminals. I, I think um, you asked what needs to happen. I, I think I can answer in this way. In New Zealand, I take a very simple view. Whilst we do the soft peddling, if you want to put it this way, take the woke approach, 
we will continue to see serious crime rise. Uh, what we actually need is a more condign deterrent approach uh, where um, actually um, gang leaders, uh, drug peddlers, uh, serious violence offenders know with some certainty they'll get caught uh, and they will go uh, to jail. Now, none of that means that in jail, we don't end up doing the best job we can in terms of rehabilitation and reintegration, knowing that these people will come out of jail, setting them up for success on the outside. So they don't just go back to a life of crime. None of it means any of that. But I think um, New Zealanders are looking for a stronger approach on these things. They, they instinctively know um, that this kind of wokester view of, um, as we say in New Zealand, hui, that's the Maori word for, for meetings, you know, trying to hug a hoodie, I think David Cameron said, um, that's, that's not the way to go. Has, has policing been politicised? I, I, I've got this thing, I, I think in our country it has to a certain extent, and I think it has in America too. Um, I, I'm going to use like Black Lives Matter as a great example. The, the concept of ending racism and tackling racism, I don't think there's too many people that would disagree with that concept. Um, for me, where it becomes difficult, and I again, I think I could probably say this a bit easier uh, with my um, uh, being an ethnic minority, if you like, is the fact that I don't, well, I don't really fully support the organisations because I don't believe in defunding the police. I don't believe in um, the having on your website about a white traditional family is bad. Um, so for me, I I'm, can't really support that movement. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with Sanders words, and I really do hope we do better on racial inequality. And I think there are some really uh, progressive things that we can do. Um, but I also think it's been really politicized now uh, to a point where uh, that movement and some policing things for me just seems quite clearly politicized. Is that, would you say that's happening in New Zealand? I think you're absolutely right in terms of a global phenomenon. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a sociologist. I couldn't put a time frame on this. But there's no doubt we've seen a politicization of the police. We haven't, uh, we haven't experienced it to the same extent before. I doubt it is as strong in New Zealand as it is in certainly America uh, or even uh, uh, Britain. But uh, but I do think there is um, there, there there is a growing sense, probably quite different to what you're you're experiencing from the New Zealand perspective where um, being woke uh, in police, being, being uh, in, in that, way, that way inclined means police aren't turning up the way they are used to, um, uh, to serious crimes. Um, there is a sense of soft peddling. I can tell you in my electorate, um, 70, 80 patched gang members, they're called the headhunters, took over a, a beautiful beach road uh, for a day. Um, in the past, uh, dare I say it, under the national government, the, the government I was part of, police would have showed up and dispersed that group because they were illegally taking over the road so other people couldn't go about their business and felt intimidated. Uh, this is just two or three months months ago. Um, today, police don't, don't turn up. And, uh, and I think that many New Zealanders are seeing these things all around the place and a very real, real sense that that is, yeah, the, the politics of policing, um, the wokeism creeping in uh, in a way they don't like. I think there's there's so much um, divide going on. Uh, it, it seems almost everywhere with regards to policing. But one thing um, that I thought was really remarkable from you guys in New Zealand um, was the, um, the respect you showed uh, Prince Philip following his death. I think there was a real warmth in... Um, and, and happiness and seeing New Zealand MP singing uh, how great thou art. Um, how did that come about? Was that something you guys discussed uh, internally before or did it just sort of um, manifest on the day? Well, it's very common in New Zealand in a sense. Um, I su suspect in a way that you just don't see in other uh, Western parliaments to have a singing or a waiata as, as it's called in uh, Māori and Te Rau. And so there was certainly universal agreement uh, that the parliament would suspend normal business 
I have um, uh, speeches from the leaders of our various political parties uh, and actually some other members of parliament uh, in regard to the passing of Prince Philip. And then in the sense spontaneously, uh, but also not unexpectedly, uh, there was a whiter. And uh, uh, as I say, it's not entirely uncommon, but you know, I, I think it's a great and fitting tribute for a great man and someone who, uh, in a sense, was in his support for um, Her Majesty the Queen, uh, an anchor, someone who really uh, um, gave us all a sense in the Commonwealth of stability, of continuity, despite all the crazy things we've been talking about and that continue uh, to go on. So I'm, I'm chuffed. I didn't actually realise that, but it makes sense that, um, in a sense, us singing went global. And, uh, and, and people saw that and that mark of respect for great men and for the monarchy, uh, which still holds a very high place in the hearts of uh, New Zealanders. I think it's incredible with Prince Philip, just the amount of places and remote places across the Commonwealth, across the world that he, you know, took the time to visit often, often alone and had a, had a real you know, connection with a lot, of, a lot of places around the Commonwealth. And we, we've seen the tributes from everywhere really kind of transcended for the vast, vast majority of times the political divide and, you know, just seen so many nice stories, anecdotes from so many different people who've been touched, you know, even, you know, even in small ways or just have, you know, we, we've seen people we know in um, Trinidad, for example, one of our supporters who just said that everything almost was at a standstill there when, the news was breaking and you know just someone who's so well respected around the world and around the commonwealth just an incredible life and you know, it's been really nice to see so many tributes coming coming through i think definitely yeah, i mean was it, sorry you go i uh, was just saying was ahead of his times um i was listening to a, a podcast uh, yesterday and uh you know whether it was the environment um whether it was uh, youth and um, various youth causes. Um, he, he, he was a staunch advocate and a believer, um, you know, not just in the last two or three decades, but, but across his, uh, his uh, life. And uh, as I say, in that sense, he was very much ahead of his times. I, I wanted to ask uh, actually your thoughts on the monarchy and its role. Um, I think mine and Paul's thoughts are probably quite obvious with the organization. Um, but I, I wanted to kind of get understanding your general thoughts on the monarchy um, and its role it plays for as a New Zealander in particular. Well, I picked Paul as a closet a Republican. I don't know. It's just <laughs> no, no. no. Um, you, you know, you'll be pleased to hear. I, I think um, what is quite fascinating, actually, uh, because you might have expected differently from some members of Parliament uh, and uh, now Labour government. Uh, when they were in opposition, uh, but across the board, politically really well, not within the Green Party, but uh, uh, in the major parties, my sense is, and, and this reflects society, there is no uh, great appetite or lust for a republic. Now, and me saying that, there'll be someone on Twitter, as we know, they'll jump up and down saying, no, you're wrong. But, but that, that I, I think that's where things are. Uh, at right now. Um, now, what is always said, and it's somewhat trite, but possibly uh, is, is true as well. There is always the possibility um, when uh, one day um, uh, there is a change in the throne, uh, that that view may change at a level. But certainly right now, there's no appetite. I don't know that it will change, uh, actually. I, I put my cards on the table. Um, if you got me as a child, um, growing up in a very staunch monarchist household, I would have been um, a staunch monarchist. I, I describe myself today, and I, I speak a lot of New Zealanders are in this category, as a, a reluctant, possibly an ambivalent uh, monarchist. And what I mean by that is I've met a number of uh, the royal family. It's been a great privilege. I think um, uh, Prince Charles, for example, is um, much unsung and underappreciated um, guy, actually. And, uh, uh, and so I have a very warm regard for the monarchy I, I, as, a, as people. 
I, I do think though, you know, um, if we're a bit honest about this, uh, the notion of uh, um, uh, heads of state on the basis of hereditary um, is, is perhaps uh, incommensurate with, with modern society. But I, I find myself in the position Winston Churchill had on democracy, look, worst possible system save for all of the other ones. And in New Zealand, uh, if we were to think about departing from the monarchy um, as our head of state, with the Governor General in New Zealand, with Her Majesty as Queen of uh, New Zealand in New Zealand, the complication, the cost, uh, the problems would be, I think, very large. Um, would we go to some sort of presidential system? How would we elect or appoint that president? Um, would it be a case that in doing so, they become their own center of power, which upsets our constitutional arrangements we've now had for um, a, a couple of hundred years or, or, or so. Um, so I'd say again, I am uh, have a high regard for the monarchy uh, as individuals. Um, I am a monarchist. Uh, I don't suggest in theory it's, pers it's perfect, but in reality, actually it works just fine uh, in New Zealand. And I think in a way long, uh, will that continue? I think exactly what you said uh, about the monarchy is um, mentioned a lot in um, uh, uh, John Howard's book. Um, so we, we had John Howard on our, on our platform, the former Australian uh, Prime Minister, and we discussed uh, about the monarchy, um, not in too much detail on in, in the webinar, but in his book, he goes into a lot of detail about it. And he talks about uh, the experience of the referendum uh, when Australia had uh, the opportunity to go republic. And I think it, it during that process, the people who were uh, almost screaming to go republic, during that process, a lot of them found that there actually wasn't necessarily a viable solution that actually works much better. Um, so although they would be, were protesting and were um, campaigning initially to uh, go republic, he saw a massive change. Um, and the biggest issue he found was that the people who were voting or who wanted to leave the monarchy could not come to a universal agreement on how they should move forward. Um, and this was what, like 1999, it's been over uh, 22 years and it doesn't seem like there's much of an appetite there for uh, um, uh, going Republic. I, I think the really interesting one, I think is what you mentioned there is when there's a changing of guards. I think naturally, I think there will be, um, that question may re-emerge and it'll be interesting to see how people sort of uh, deal with that. Um, I, I agree. And can I just say as well, uh, son of um, Lazarus, Lazarus Rising, uh, it's one of the great political biographies. Uh, and, and John Howard is, um, you know, my, in my humble view, one of the uh, greatest centre-right figures uh, in the Commonwealth. Um, just a brilliant um, example of a politician, um, nothing flashy, but uh, tremendous values and conviction. Uh, that he set out and implemented in uh, in Australia, and uh, what is amazing about that guy is not only that uh, we, we we've got a guy who um, I, I, I dare not put an age on him right now, but still going strong, um, never puts a foot wrong, uh, but speaks up for conservatism and what it means in the likes of the UK, Australia, and New Zealand. So he's um, if if I am now a patron, he needs to be patron saint uh, or some <laughs> such. Uh, all conservative friends of the Commonwealth. All I can yeah. say is he had a lot to say about this. This woke stuff is uh, he's just so up to date with it. You wouldn't, we couldn't believe, um, you know, how his finger's still on the pulse of almost everything going on around the Commonwealth yeah. and the world. To be honest, yeah, brilliant guy, and uh, I had the great privilege of having dinner with him and his lovely wife, and my wife and I. A couple of years back, and we've kept in some some form of contact. But um, yeah, as I say, he's a um, He's a great conservative figure. He, in that uh, webinar, I think had some amazing one lines. Like they were just, I've been using one of them quite a bit recently, which was, uh, yeah, he, he thinks there's this, um, he, he talked about how there's a new shift in politics, which is you select the minority and then you pick policies on the minority. He believes it should be, you just select policies. That's it. It shouldn't, it should benefit the, the population. So he used the example of small businesses. So he kept talking about how he was particularly passionate about small businesses because his dad had a small business. 
Um, and he said, when I, my whole thing about promoting small businesses, you help Indians, you help Chinese, you help Australians, you help everyone. There's no skin color to it. He's like, it's real fear at the moment. Um, what you see sometimes in the UK and more America is this movement towards you look at a specific group of people and then you select policies on that. And he uh, was the identity politics. He was strongly against it. It was, it was yeah, really fascinating to have him at that age, just, yeah, saying those things. Well, and I agree with him. And, uh, you know, the risk of getting myself in trouble yet again on Twitter, um, if uh, the, the left continues watching this far, uh, you know, New Zealand, we, we face these issues. Um, we are uh, sliding down a view of race relations uh, and of uh, the Treaty of Waitangi, or in Te Reo, we call it Te o Waitangi, uh, where that means partnership. Partnership means 50-50, and it does mean doing things um, on the basis of ethnicity as opposed to uh, something else. The most recent example, probably the most significant law the Jacinda Ardern government has passed this term over you know, six to seven months, is one in relation to councils where there will now um, be a presumption and uh, for Maori wards, uh, for Maori councillors, um, in a way we wouldn't for Indian New Zealanders or Pacific Island New Zealanders. And uh, look, we could spend an hour unpacking that, but um, it, it is, a, I think, a concerning a slippery slope. And for me, as a Maori New Zealander, I sit there and say, I'm sure like you, Sunil, I want to be um, recognised. I want respect as a politician, not because of the colour of my skin or my ethnicity, because of what I say or what I do. I, I'm proud to be elected the Member of Parliament for Tauranga because I believe and hope I'm the best candidate for the job, uh, not because somehow there is a quota or something uh, that... Uh, uh, that makes it easier for me. I'm better than that. Uh, Maori New Zealanders are better than that, and um, don't don't require um, a, 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 a more um, a favoured position um, to get ahead. I think yeah, something that we probably all agree on here. You know, great example is our cabinet right now in in the UK. You know, we have three mm. British okay. Indians. Um, who not there for a quota system, they're there on merit. And I think um, that long may that sort of uh, approach continue. Um, and yeah, I think at some point we would love to have that conversation about uh, understanding Maoris in New Zealand and that whole process, because you know it is a very different um, uh, state of governance to what we here have here in the UK. So it would be great to almost maybe have a bit of a history lesson from yourself and um, to understand um, that sort of position. I think we should probably uh, start to come towards an end and, and I think to kind of finish on international order. Um, I, I know a lot's um, changing right now. We're all having to deal with COVID-19. Um, how is New Zealand looking with regards to opening up their economy to the world? Well, this morning, um, over the last couple of hours, New Zealanders for the first time in I think over a year are on planes traveling freely to Australia and Australians to New Zealand. So that trans-Tasman bubble that we've been bickering about and discussing in New Zealand now for months has finally happened. And it's some 70, 60, 70 planes going backwards and forwards today and that will uh, continue. This is fantastic. But what I'd say to you is the job isn't done. Actually, uh, on the risk factors, we can safely start to think about the Pacific Islands. Uh, places like Fiji, Samoa, uh, other very small Commonwealth uh, nations. Uh, then I think actually we need to start thinking about parts of Asia. You know, we know Taiwan, for example, has possibly the best COVID response, and we could safely be thinking about um, uh, um, making moves towards opening up to those countries as well. There's some big black marks though in New Zealand, and. Um, I say to you before, and I, I say to you uh, on air now, one way to think about what's happened with COVID globally is a game of two halves. Now, you may be envious, I don't know, I don't want to presume, but New Zealand's lived in relative freedom. I've been able to go about my life any which way domestically. First half, very good. Second half, though, actually, we face a situation today where we have not vaccinated New Zealanders at anything remotely like the rate you have 
uh, in the United Kingdom. We have um, significant anti-vax uh, uh, movement and, and uh, um, social media. And I, I think those numbers, probably because there hasn't been, as in your country, uh, the need uh, for um, um, the, the, the lockdowns the same, the same number of uh, deaths and fatalities, uh, which are very conservative, a, a complacency, if you like. So there's a very real fear, actually, I think, that as the United Kingdom, given the vaccination program, becomes rather more free and global again, New Zealand might be somewhat slower in that uh, regard. That's a real issue. And cognizant of what you've said about wrapping up, I would just make this other point. And that's more generally globally, uh, we are, as your followers know, I think at a very uncertain, dare I say, dangerous time. Um, we have a China that's more aggressive. And so what that means to me, and I think I said right at the start of this podcast, is a very real motivation uh, for New Zealanders uh, to be reaching out to groups like the Commonwealth Friends, or I should say Conservative Friends, the Commonwealth, Kanzuk, uh, uh, and other things, because we, like never before, need uh, like-minded people's um, alliances, uh, groupings uh, to stand together for human rights, for democracy, for the values that we cherish. I think this trans-Tasman bubble debate has been quite interesting. I've been following a bit of it on, on Twitter. I know um, Jimmy Nishim, for example, has been doom-mongering about that whilst um, he's over in India playing in the IPL, but um, he's, he's been quite vocal on Twitter of a cricketer sticking his, his aura in or his bat in. Um, I think, it's, it's, like you say, it's caused an interesting debate of people who are very, very fearful now in New Zealand of open taking those next steps opening up you know bringing some sort of normality back i guess it's sort of the opposite of the debate we have here um yes. almost because you like you say relative freedom in a way uh, for most of the pandemic but now the the big step is you know international travel that vaccine we're kind of the other way around now that va vaccine rollout is going really well um and now we're sort of thinking um you know, what are those next steps there rather than how can we speed things up? How, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting, almost psychological kind of debate throughout this pan pandemic, you know, it's had um, people had to con condition people almost to be wary of COVID, follow these these rules. And now it's very difficult to un unpick something that's been built up over a, a year of messaging and a year of you know debate and people are very set on each side of their sort of lines that people have drawn their lines and it's hard to make any movement on that so it's it's almost a whole new challenge now and they say the second half of it is to find a way out and there's so many different countries around the world are at different stages you know, india the country we talk about a lot is cases rocketing now it's just such a difficult there's no way to have a kind of coordinated coherent international response to it and i think it's going to be a really big big challenge for you know governments around the world to find a you know suitable way out without kind of um yeah letting things run wild again i just yeah don't don't envy anyone in, in those positions myself really well we're in the bumpy years and uh you know uh, i know that uh, in the united kingdom under 45s now as you've told me uh will be vaccinated um I, I don't mean to be a doomster in New Zealand. There's a lot that's gone well, but what is also true is I don't know when I will be vaccinated as a just under 45-year-old, uh, 44 year, years to be uh, exact. And what we have to guard against, I think, is in our desire to stay safe, which is clearly right, uh, we don't become fortress New Zealand and we're not rather slower uh, than countries that perhaps had a worse first half but maybe finished uh, more strongly. Well, why is uh, New Zealand's vaccination program being so slow? Is, is it, I'm guessing it's a combination of many things, but wh why would you say, what are some of the main reasons it's been, let's say, on the, on the slower side compared to some of, uh, some of the other countries? Look, I wish I could give you a good answer. I'm sure there are some technical factors. Uh, there are 
Um, I, I think a desire to get it right and to be slowly, surely, you know, that the fable of the, the, the hare and the tortoise will know who um, won the, the, the race. And so um, at this stage, it's speculative to say how we'll end because you know, we don't know. Um, if the vaccination program picks up pace this year, um, I, my, my fears might not be grounded and we might see actually that uh, we, we end well as well as starting um, well. I do worry though, uh, if, I'm, if I'm candid here, uh, that there is some complacency. There is some sense that we just don't have the motivation that you right, rightly have in the United Kingdom given your backstory uh, on COVID. Um, and, and we've fallen into this position where actually we just don't need to be motivated because we can go to the pub, we can play sports, we can do all these things in our little fortress and uh, long may that continue in a sense. Um, so that may culturally be part of uh, the answer. Um, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that uh, what has been a very slow vaccination process um, to date does pick up some pace uh, over coming months. I think it's uh, a really fascinating time in, in, with regards to uh, foreign affairs and sort of what's going on in, on the world stage um, and you know with when you're talking about COVID it's impossible not to mention China um, and something that I've been really surprised to learn about in the last few months um, is just how much New Zealand's economy really relies on China um, and there's no doubt COVID-19 has left uh, a sour taste in the mouth of many in terms of the, the Chinese uh, Communist Party and the, the way they sort of reacted. And we are seeing a lot more open criticism towards them. Um, how do you see the future of New Zealand and China and what do you think it should look like? Well, first you deal with your trade points, Sano, look, you're right. Uh, New Zealand is a heavy reliance on China. Um, actually, it's been a wonderful story economically uh, to date. Uh, where we have seen that uh, growth be exponential. And in my region, kiwi fruit uh, um, by the ton uh, going uh, to, to China. Of course, what we have to do is diversify. And um, actually, we are slightly more diversified, I would argue, than Australia, uh, where they even have a higher trade dependence on China. But, you know, there's no doubt we need to be motivated and I would hope the United Kingdom is also in light of Brexit, Brexit around comprehensive deal with uh, the likes of the United Kingdom, with the EU uh, and others. So we don't have all our eggs in uh, one basket. Um, we see that contrast with Australia when it comes to China more broadly, where they've been... Um, let's say, rather more robust and rather more forthright uh, in their position. Now, some would argue against that, and you know, that's, in a sense, the view people can, can take. But I think right now, New Zealand is in a position where we're sort of trying to uh, keep our head below the parapet, um, um, not, not stand up perhaps quite as robustly and forthrightly as we could, and I believe we should, on our values, on human rights, whether in Hong Kong, uh, whether the increased aggression in uh, Taiwan. And I, I don't think it needs to be an all or nothing. I don't think we suddenly need to say, well, we've, the trade's gonna go down and um, we're no longer gonna be friends with China. I do think though what it requires from us is uh, on occasion, where China is doing things incommensurate with our values and our beliefs, standing up on those issues. Um, there's been some real gaffes from the New Zealand government in recent times. Uh, the foreign minister, new to her role, um, talked about mediating the disputes between China uh, and Australia. Um, one of our ministers, the trade minister, um, spoke of um, Australia needing to show China some respect and I think most New Zealanders say, look, that's not on, actually. Um, uh, we are a long-standing democracy that values human rights, and we're not going to kowtow uh, to any country. We'll keep our independent foreign policy. We're not suddenly going to become uh, deputy sheriff to America or any such thing, but we'll stand up without fear or favour on human rights uh, and, and our values uh, where we can. 
I think China is something we discuss a lot on this platform uh, about. And I think for us, we, we've almost see it as a fantastic opportunity for a number of other Commonwealth countries to kind of step up and um, help countries diversify their sort of portfolios. Um, as there's a number of countries that offer uh, similar sort of resources and similar geographically locations to China that could potentially uh, mitigate, if you like, the reliance on one country uh, that we have here in the UK, and I'm sure uh, many other countries do. And I think we could probably talk about China for quite some time. Um, so I think we will probably maybe save that for a, a, another day. Uh, but yeah, it's been a pleasure speaking to you as always, Simon, and um, hopefully we can do another one soon. And uh, yeah, uh, go from there. Hey, sounds great. You know, man, really good to talk to you. I wish you well uh, as you have increased freedoms uh, and the chance to uh, taste a uh, lukewarm beer um, at one of your pubs uh, over there. And uh, I wish you well. Let's talk again soon. Thank you, Simon. Great to have you on.